Always be careful what you say walking to the pulpit because they turn on the microphone. You never know. Good to see you this morning. It's a great morning, a great pleasure to be here. I appreciate the songs. Trey, appreciate you leading the songs. Appreciate the prayers this morning. Appreciate the comments, Kyle, that you made this morning. And and Kevin for doing a good job with a lot of announcements this morning. Seemed like there are just some of those occasions where we have a lot that we need to talk about when we're together. It is just a great day to be here, here at the beginning of another month. And JR said it's going by too fast. I'm with him. Summertime just gets away in a hurry, doesn't it? Especially when you're facing school. Just think about it. Within a couple of weeks, most of the schools will be back in session. Almost all of them will be back in session. Kids will be back being instructed by their teachers, slapped on the wrist with rulers and things like that. It's, gonna, it's a great time. I love it. Let's get those kids in school and get them straightened out. It is really a privilege to share a few moments with you this morning. The song that we just sang, Do You Know? You know, the Lord knows us. The gospel writer reminds us that the Lord knows us. Nobody has to explain the heart of man. Jesus already knows the heart of man. He knows us. God knows us. He knows how many hairs you got on your head. And some of us, it's easier to count all the time. But still, he knows what we've got in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. He knows everything about us. But how well do we know him? So the question of the morning is this. Do you know? Do you know? Hmm. It's not what do you know, but do you know? John, the 13th chapter, verses 12 and 13. In that occasion where Jesus and his disciples are together to eat that Passover meal, we often refer to the Last Supper. That gathering where those disciples were with him, the one where Judas is excused to go and he's betraying Jesus. That supper, that meal together before they go to the garden that night where they come and take him away and put him on trial. In that supper, as they gather together, an event takes place that might slide by us. But within that event, within that event, Jesus asks a question. Verse 12, John 13, So when he had washed their feet, speaking of those who were at the meal with him, those closest disciples, When he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. But did they really know him? You know, it still amazes me that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do it. Maybe their feet were dirty, but he didn't have to take the place. He didn't have to get out on his. He didn't have to take the basin. He could have instructed one of his disciples to do it. He said, hey, so-and-so, would you get out and wash the feet? Would you take care of that? It was traditional. It was a part of their gatherings together. If you went someplace and you were invited for a meal as you went in, they would wash your feet. They might even wash your hands for you as they pour water over your hands and so forth. They might even anoint your head with oil. Make you smell good at the meal and just slick you down and make you look good. I think my mother would wish somebody had done that to me a lot of times when I came in to eat. He could have instructed one of his disciples to do that very thing, but no, Jesus. It seems he took off his outer garment, trapped himself, got a towel, got a basin, got the water, and went around and washed the feet. And you may remember that when he came to Simon Peter, Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. And there was an interchange between them. But what might be the most amazing part of the whole event 
was that when he had finished and returned to the table, he asked them if they knew what he had done. Well, obviously they knew he had washed their feet. If someone washes our feet, we know about it. If they get down with a basin of water, they're gonna, we're going to know about it. Even if you're sound asleep, you're probably going to wake up if somebody starts washing your feet. It's just going to happen. If you're a little bit ticklish, you're especially going to wake up about it. It doesn't happen without you knowing. And so the question is out there, do you know what I've done to you? Well, you've washed our feet. That's pretty obvious. But he wanted them to know more. He wanted them to know more. This is a deeper question. And he answers it. It's rhetorical in its nature, you might say. He didn't really want them to respond to him. He wanted to put something forward to him. Because he wanted them to know it's possible to know what he had done and not really know the meaning of it or why he had done it. But the question comes back to us. Do we know? The question of whether we know or understand something can be a challenging thing. Most of the time we want to say, sure, 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 I got it. You bet. I got it. Do you understand? Mm Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Usually it means we don't want to know anymore. We don't want to really hear anymore. That's kind of the end of it. Ask for direction in a strange city and then try to follow those directions. Somebody says, well, if you go down here and you turn at this place, that place, that place, go to the left, go to the right, up and down. When you pass by the the 7-Eleven, stop and get you something to drink and then go on. Try to follow those directions. Streets and buildings and places are not familiar to us, but we might say, somebody say, did you get all that? Well, we're going to say, yeah. Maybe we're going to ask somebody else a little further down the way. We don't always understand everything that's given to us, even if we seem to act like we do. And so the question, as the song says, do you know my Jesus? Do you know my friend? The words ask a valid question. Do we really know him? There are a lot of distortions of who he is and what he is and what he has done and what should be expected of him and what he expects of us. And it's important that we ask ourselves, and it's important that we really know that we know him. And so we know. I think there are things we know. We know. And there are a lot of people who think they know a lot about Jesus. I mean, there's history. It's there. You can know some things about Jesus. Nicodemus had an idea about Jesus in the third chapter of John when Nicodemus came to him and said, we know you're from God. You've got to be from God or you couldn't do what you're doing in John 3. But he didn't know who Jesus really was. And Jesus starts talking about being born again and Nicodemus is lost. I think some claimed that they knew, knew who he was and claimed him to just be a teacher. They appreciated that and that he didn't play with the politics of the day. And said, we know you're a just man. We know you're a just person. Matthew 22, Mark 12, those ideas. They said, we know, we know about you. We know the character that's in you. So they claimed that they knew Jesus. There were others who said, we know his family. Wasn't his father Joseph? John 6, 42. Isn't this Joseph's son out there? Or, you know, we know who this guy is and so forth. But they also said, we know he's not the Christ. Some of the vocal proponents said, we know he's not the Christ. John 7, verse 27. He's not the Christ. We, don't know where, we, we know where this guy came from. They knew he was Jesus of Nazareth. They knew where he came from. They may not have known everything. They may not have known that he was born in Bethlehem or that he'd been to Egypt. They may not have known all those things, but they knew he'd grown up in Nazareth. They knew he was Joseph's son. They knew some of his family. And so they said, we know you're not the Christ because we don't know where the Messiah, the Christ, will come from, but we know where you're from. 
There were those who even pointed to him and thought he must be a demon-possessed man or a sinner and the like. John 9 and his healing of that blind man there, and they really point to Jesus as he couldn't be the man you're claiming him to be or he wouldn't be like he is. We'll bring it more modern, and you think about it and the way we approach it today, there are many who think they know Jesus. They think they know Jesus. Maybe they have picked up a few things along the way because I think to know bits and pieces of his teaching is not to know him. You can know some of the things he said. You can even quote some of the things he said. You could quote a lot of things he said. You could tell his entire story and still not know Jesus. For to read or even quote literature doesn't mean you know the author. I can give you a few lines of Longfellow, but I can't tell you that I knew Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. For one, I didn't live long enough, and I really don't know that much about him. I know there's a school named after him, and that's good enough. We can say that about a lot of people. In, a, in an age where the media puts so much in front of us, we feel like we know people. We feel like we know celebrities. We feel like we know politicians. We feel like we know them inside and out. We feel like we know people we are never going to meet in our lives, and we know them well, but we don't know them. We don't know them. That's why Jesus would ask his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Matthew records that for us. Matthew 16. Who do they say that I am? Well, they think you're one of the prophets of old. Maybe somebody brought back to life again. John the Baptist could be brought back just in a little different form. You don't look exactly the same, but you could be John the Baptist. Never mind that the two of you were seen in the same place together at the same time. You could be John the Baptist. They thought maybe he's one of these guys. But who do you say that I am? Even Peter, as he responds with this great response, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, didn't yet fully comprehend who this guy really was. For in just a few moments, he's going to say, Lord, listen to me. That's not the way it's going to happen. He didn't really know Jesus that well. For knowing may mean being able to relate to, to, as we say, walk in a person's shoes. To walk in a person's shoes. And that was the intention that Jesus was putting out there in front of them in that passage in Matthew 16 where where he tells Peter, you know, get behind me, Satan. You're savoring the things of man, not of God. If any would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up the cross and follow me. That was the intention of the call. The call to self-sacrifice was to understand Jesus, to put yourself in his place, to understand who he was and what he was doing. That's what it is. That's why Paul could say, Beseech you therefore, brethren, to present your bodies, by the mercy of the living God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. It was the likeness of Jesus. It was the understanding of Jesus. So, friends, it's not so much how much you know about a person, how well you can recite the things about a person's life, but that you can relate to being that person, to relate to being in those shoes. And until you're close to somebody, unless you know them inside and out, knowing tidbits about them, conversing with them occasionally is not the answer. It's only by living in those shoes that somebody like Paul could say, for me to live is Christ. 
How can he make such a bold statement? But that he's walked in those shoes and determinedly kept himself that way. Now we may use caution to mention who we know at times. Sometimes we just don't want to associate. But I think about the way some of those who got close to Jesus, I think wanted to know him even better. One Nathaniel was, was initially, initially uncertain about Jesus, didn't want to get close to him, and couldn't understand, he couldn't understand how Jesus could know about him, what he was and where he was and what he had been doing. But he saw in Jesus an understanding of more than who he was. He knew him and understood him. It was the same kind of thing that brought Simon Peter to later claim, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. When the relationship is real, the knowing is real. It's not something on paper. It's something in the heart. But we have to admit, and we have to understand, there are things we don't know. There are things we don't yet know fully about the Lord. Maybe that's part of why John writes in the first John 3, it doesn't yet appear. We don't fully understand all these things. We don't comprehend all of that. I don't fully understand how God can be in the flesh in the way that he was and be what he was and why Jesus operated in the way he did all of the time. There are so many things yet to understand. Let me offer to you just a few scriptures. This is, you know, there's things that we we need to challenge ourselves and we need to understand because there are things we need to know about our lives and our commitment to him and what he's done for us from the beginning of our life, from from how we're baptized into Christ and how we live our lives in him and how we present ourselves to him. Listen to this. Romans 6 and verse 3, consider a few scriptures. Or do you not know that as many as us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized Notice this, baptized into his, into his death. There's a reality engaged in that. Or the next verse, do you not know to whom you present yourselves as slaves to obey, that you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether to sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? If we fully understood that, would we give ourselves to the things that we do? Or do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Our limited concept of what spirit is and what spirit means gives us this concept. You mean there's, there's something alive in here somewhere and I've got I've to get hold of that? It's a concept that is difficult for us and challenging for us. And that's what Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 3. Or do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? I'm sorry, that's the same verse uh, in there again. And verse 9, chapter 6 and verse 9. But then come down to this. Examine, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified or you are rejecting? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And do you not know, James 4 and verse 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There are things that we don't don't sit and think about. There are things that we we don't 
grasp, things that we don't put into our brains, then we just kind of pass by. We like the surface. We like the picture. We like to see what's there. We like to understand the outside and get hold of that, and that's good enough. We live in a, we live in a society in a world that doesn't always want to see the inside. We like to decorate and fix ourselves so people will see that, and that's appealing, and we like that, and that's good. We like the right look, the right smell, the right approach in so many ways. But, but, as the candy maker says, it's what's inside that counts. And when we bring that out, we need to know. We need to know even things that we haven't fully yet experienced because when we know him, we can know what he has taught. And what he has taught can help give us a concept and a greater, broader understanding of what the meanings of his life and what he has brought to us really mean to us. We can know that he has gone and to come again, that he will come again. That's his promise. That's his determination. And if I go, I will come again. And even as those men stood there watching him ascend, until he disappeared, when the messengers of God stood before him and said, don't you know that he is, he went, he's coming again. We don't speak about it enough. We don't press it enough upon us. I think a generation or two ago, we used to press that idea. He's coming again. We need to know that. And it was in his messages. It was in his ministry. It was there. And we need to know that he has gone to come again. Absolute confidence. We need to know that there is a resurrection. That the grave is not the end. That the world doesn't end when our breath stops. But there is a resurrection. Paul writes to the church in Philippi as well as the church in Thessalonica. This is not the end. That Christ is coming again and there is a resurrection. The Jews believed it heartily. They held on to that idea. They didn't understand it, but they held on to it. What I'm saying to you, friends, is there are many things we do not know. We don't fully comprehend all these things. We don't grasp everything about it. We don't know everything about the life and teaching of Jesus. The passage that Kyle read a little while ago and we shared in our Bible class this morning in John 20, John tells us there's so many other things that are there. We can't write them all down. As the song said, if I were to tell my life's story, what would you include? What would you include in your life story? Do you have enough paper to write it all down? Do you? Well, some of you haven't lived very long yet, but yeah, but still, how can you write everything down? Everything that's important, everything that you've done, how can we put all that down? No. Aren't there things about you that people do not know? Aren't there things that, that people around you, your immediate families, your loved ones, don't know that go on in your mind, in your heart, in your brain? We don't tell everything that we do or every thought that process that comes into our brain, into our minds and our lives. No. But they can still know us. They can still know us. There are things that we do need to know about God. There are things we still do not know. But there are still things we need to know about God. And the challenge that's here and what Jesus was putting before his disciples is you need to know me we must we must we need to get to know this Jesus we need to get to know his son Paul says in Philippians 2 and verse 5 that I might know him he says and the power of his resurrection but that I might know that we might know him 
chapters 2 and chapter 3, we may not always see the reasons why somebody does what he does. I mean, you see somebody commit a violent crime and, and a mother, somebody comes along and says, he was always a sweet kid. He never did anything wrong. He was always good in school, always did his work or whatever. And then some violent crime, strange and violent actions by a person we think we know throws us off base. We need to know our Lord fully so that we're not surprised by who and what he is. And so the idea and the question, do you know, gets back to what we know is challenged by what we do not know. We need to know him. I think it was my first year in college, I had a history teacher. We were all forced to take the class entitled Western Civilization. Oh, it was a joyous class, especially at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. It was his first year of teaching. They had needed his wife for a program that was beginning in the school. And so they gave him a job teaching and stuck him in a history class. What harm can you do in a history class? He would come into the class and he would recite things that he had in his notes and we would jot them down and write them down and, and take notes in the class. And then the next class session, he would come in and he'd say, now, what I told you on that one, mark that out and we're going to change that. You've heard of rewriting history. I don't know that he was rewriting history, but his information was always changing. He didn't know. Frankly, he was a lousy teacher, but, and maybe I was a lousy student, but he was a lousy teacher. But I think about the words of Paul. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, when he talked about things that people didn't fully understand at that time. What about the dead? What's happening to the dead? Paul said, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. He wasn't saying, I wouldn't have you ignorant, brethren. He was saying, I would not have you to be ignorant about this, brethren. So what did Jesus do? He's got a few more hours to spend before he's going to be taken away from them, crucified, and they're going to have a hard time understanding what's going on. Yes, they knew that people wanted to kill Jesus, but they didn't believe anybody could actually take him. And they're going to have a hard time with that. And they're going to be, within a few weeks, they're going to be responsible to do what they need to do to take care of business as they need to take care of it. They were going to need to do that. And so Jesus washed their feet. And when he washed their feet, they saw him in a different light. Not as the orator, not as the instructor in front of the class, not as the guy that was healing the sick or multiplying food for the hungry, but he was the guy who was a servant and washing their feet. And in that moment, Jesus said, you learned something more about me. You call me teacher, and I am. But what have you learned? Do you know my Jesus? Do you know my friend? Have you heard he loves you and that he will abide till the end? Do you really know Jesus? 
Or are you simply satisfied with the knowledge you have of him? I think the challenge for you and me is to gain that fuller, that deeper, that richer, that broader understanding of who he is. We're not going to finish it. We're not going to fully understand it until we can find ourselves in his presence with him again. This morning we're going to sing a song of encouragement. Let it be one of invitation as well. And if there is somebody who needs to respond to the invitation this morning, we want you to do so. We want to encourage that and the opportunity is yours. Whether it's to put the Savior on in baptism, whether it is to redirect your life. If you need to come publicly this morning, the opportunity is yours to do that today. But let it be a word of encouragement to us and open a door of opportunity in all of our lives that we might move forward and grasp in greater understanding the knowledge of who He is. If someone needs to come this morning. Let this be your invitation. Please do so while we stand and sing together.